Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hey there, plant people. Hey, all our gardening friends out there. Thank you for joining me again here for another episode episode of Plow and Hose, recorded here uh, in my backyard patio studio. It is Labor Day weekend, and oh my gosh, it has just been crazy hot, and I'm kind of, I'd kind of gotten used to um, the summer that we've been having. We were really been kind of spoiled. I mean, we started out with a nice wet and rainy May and then a quite mild June and then July and August were super tolerable but just like the past two weeks maybe definitely this last week it's been hot 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 and just gross and muggy but I don't know it's September so it can't last a whole lot longer. So, speaking of September, being early September, September 1st is the opening day of dove hunting season every year. And in the more rural parts of Central Texas, uh, kind of like here in Taylor, we're still a little bit rural, we get to wake up to the pop, 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 popping sounds of birdshot going off. And even when I come home from work in the evening, there's still that pop, pop, pop. And every year I do seem to forget that it's dove season. And actually like a week or so ago, I noticed a few doves kind of hanging out in my backyard. And even though it was a little weird, I thought, since um, yeah, I'm used to seeing birds because we have bird feeders, but I hadn't refilled it recently, so I was a little surprised to see it. But connecting the dots, it's dove season, so that's probably why they're here. And these prob- these birds are probably a lot smarter than I give them uh, credit for. I really used to think that they really weren't all that bright um, because we've had lots of doves that just kind of fly around and then they end up bonking themselves into our windows and sometimes these doves they're okay and they're a little stunned but they're able to fly off sometimes they aren't and they break their necks and die or they are injured some way and then like a cat or another critter um, grabs them and anyway they don't make it doves they do have little tiny bird brains and because of the whole window situation to me they just never struck me as particularly smart and 
compared to the other birds, it's only the doves that hit the windows around here. I mean, it's not the wrens or sparrows or cardinals or even those little house finches. They don't accidentally kill themselves by um, hitting the window. But I gotta do. I do need to uh, give the doves some credit for being smart enough to at least come hang out in my yard. We've got plenty of shelter. We've got lots of trees. And, you know, maybe that while they're out flying around, uh, they see my chickens and they think, hey, these look like bird people. And this is probably a good place to be. I don't know. At least that's what I'm going to go with. And if the doves want to hang out here, they can. Hopefully they'll watch out for those windows. And also watch out for kitties because... Um, the cats will get them too. The neighborhood, um, kitties do like the doves to snack on. So little doves, if you want to come hang, hang out here, you got to outsmart the cats. Opening day always means lots of enthusiastic hunters the first couple of weekends, but the shooting usually tapers off. Dove season runs until the end of October and hunters are allowed to shoot from like 30 minutes before sunrise until 30 minutes before sunset. So we have a little ways to go before all the shooting stops. And that really kind of sucks for dogs who don't like thunder or fireworks or gunshots. Here in Texas, um, folks can hunt game doves like morning doves, white-tipped doves, and white-winged doves. There is a limit on how many um, you can take, but those little tiny doves, the small ones that are about the size of a child's hand, those are ground doves and Inca doves. Those guys are protected by Texas law, and they aren't supposed to be hunted but what I what I understand is that you can hunt um, as many Eurasian collared doves and rock doves as you want. I don't know a whole lot about doves, but I can't imagine wanting to hunt rock doves because they're just pigeons. They they are very common pigeons, like the ones like you see in the city, and. That seems weird, but I don't know. I guess it's cool. I didn't grow up in Texas, and I didn't grow up in a hunting family, so I don't quite get the appeal. I understand how hunting is very important for land management because, like, too many doves would be absolutely devastating for um, all the grain crops. And I also understand that some people say that doves are tasty. I've never eaten one, but that's, that's fine. Um, it kind of, um, like I said, I didn't grow up in a hunting family. And um, just real quick, um, I did ask my dad one time why he never went hunting. And he said, well, the last time I was in the woods with a gun, they were shooting back. And uh, I didn't mean to bring up uh, Vietnam and I did feel a little bit bad because that was a year that I kind of uh, put a big damper on Thanksgiving. But anyway, 
With it being quite hot and dry the past couple of weeks, it really shouldn't be a surprise to me that the doves are also visiting my yard for water. All creatures need water, and so do our plants. And we've had it pretty good this summer, but my raised beds are starting to dry out faster thanks to this heat. I've started noticing um, pecans on the ground. They're dropping while they're still green. And late summer leaf and nut drop is a sign of water stress. Normally, I see when I see immature um, pecans on the ground, like if I turn them over, I'll notice that they'll have like a bite taken out of them, thanks to like a little jerk squirrel that, um, yeah, it's just hungry. But still, I'm just like, if you're gonna eat it, if you're gonna take a bite out of it, at least eat half of it. Don't just drop it and bite another one next time you're hungry but I digress um, <laughs> that's a rodent issue these pecans that don't have those bites in them um, that's a pretty good sign of heat and water stress and if we don't get some good rain soon and if it continues to be dry I expect to start seeing um, pecan leaves to really stop start to drop too Pecans are really drought tolerant once they get established, but like pretty much everything, they need water to help them get established. They are a slow growing tree, and by that I mean they grow slowly above ground. They spend a lot of time developing an extensive root system, which is what really helps them to be drought tolerant. Pecans are members of the hickory family, and we love them not only for their delicious nuts, but also they are a great shade tree. And I, I can attest to that. We have about 10 um, pecan trees at our house, and the ones in our front yard are just super huge. I'm not really sure how old they are, but they've got to be, I don't know, maybe 50 years old. I know they aren't nearly as old as our house because it's a uh, hundred years old so I know they can't be that old because they are grafted trees. You can tell um, a grafted tree because um, they'll, they'll look slightly different between the top part of the tree and the bottom part of the tree and like on these pecan trees I can tell they're grafted because they have totally different bark the bottom part of the tree has a different texture than the upper parts of the tree. Nowadays, most pecans that are sold in the nurseries are grafted varieties. Um, a grafted um, tree is, um, well, you know, grafting just means that two varieties of a plant are joined together to grow a plant that has the best attributes of both plants. For trees, growers will combine the upper parts of a tree to a different bottom part. The upper part of the graft is called the scion and the bottom parts are called the rootstock. They take a related plant that has a really great root system it's or very suitable 
uh, more suitable to our area than um, the upper part, the scion. And what they do is they combine it with like a cousin plant that has some characteristics that they want. So they take rootstock that they know will grow really well and then they combine it with something that they want on top. For pecans, a lot of the time they will use a native variety for the rootstock. Native pecans grow really, really well here in our conditions, in our soil, in our climate, but native pecan nuts are pretty small and they have thick, thick hard shells. And just like hickory nuts, they are so hard to crack into. They're really difficult. And since they are smaller, there's not as much pecan meat inside. But luckily for us, there are improved varieties of pecans out there. And we can grow grafted varieties like paper shell pecans that are quite a bit larger and they're a whole lot meatier and they have really thin shells so they're easy to crack into. So growers will take the native rootstock and then combine it with a pecan that gives us much better nuts. There are different techniques and styles of grafts but um, I want to keep it uh, really simple today. So basically a grower starts with a good size sapling of what they want to use for rootstock and then they take the top portion of that rootstock tree and cut it back so it's just a trunk so no limbs or leaves on it. It's basically just a rooted stick in the dirt. And then what they do is they take small pieces of scion wood, um, which is also called bud wood, and they take these little branches that are like six to eight inches long, and they place the cut surfaces of the branches onto cut surfaces of the rootstock. And then they will use um, grafting tape and wrap that around the two pieces just like a bandage and when they do that the plant starts to heal over and they start to grow together. A lot of times um, the pieces are cut at angles and they're placed together so that the surfaces are flush and after they wrap up the two sections start to grow together and I think that grafting is just really cool and it's it's so amazing. I don't know who thought of taking one plant and trying to grow it onto another, but whoever figured it out was just really, really clever. And our modern agriculture is really better off for it. Not only for better trees, but also all kinds of other plants too. Roses, cacti, even tomatoes, they can all be grafted. And grafting is a really great ray to get more variety where you live, especially if you're looking for specific um, plants. Some varieties of fruits and nuts 
can't be grown reliably from seed, so grafting is really the only way to propagate um, many species or many varieties. Fruit trees are a great example of the benefit of grafting. There are just so many types of stone fruits, and you know, these include apricots and peaches, nectarines, cherries, plums, and almonds. And you know, there's just a, a whole bunch of those, and it's kind of hard you know, unless you have like a lot of property. It's hard to try to grow all these uh, different trees at your home. But the cool thing about grafting um, and like these the stone fruit is that you can graft all of the stone fruit onto one tree. So if you start with like a plum tree and you get some scion cuttings from a peach tree, you can just graft that onto onto the tree. I mean, if you can, you can get cherries, you can get plums, you can get apricots and almonds, and you can graft them all onto one tree. And another cool thing is, is that you can even graft fruiting varieties to ornamental varieties of trees. So let's say that you move into your place and there's a nice big Bradford pear in your yard and every year you get tons and tons of blossoms but you never get any fruit. And that's because Bradford pears are um, a flowering pear tree. They're ornamental and they're never going to put on fruit. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can take cuttings from a fruitful pear like Asian pear or a European pear like Bartlett and you can graft those to your Bradford pear and you can have a flowering ornamental pear tree that fruits. I think that is just so cool because you know if you have like a limited amount of space on your property I mean grafting is really a great way to get more variety of fruit and save space. So if you have one fig tree and you really would like to have some other types of figs but you don't really have the space, you can get cuttings and graft those to your original fig tree. Citrus trees are probably the most grafted fruit trees out there. Almost all commercially purchased fruit uh, citrus trees that we can get are grafted onto the same rootstock. So lemons, limes, grapefruits, oranges, tangerines, even kumquats, they are all grafted onto trifolate rootstock. Trifolate is used um, so much because it's very disease resistant and it's much more cold hardy than other types of citrus trees. Trifolate is an orange. Um, it does put on fruit, but they are really sour and bitter oranges, and they're, they're not palatable. Trifolate also has lots of thorns, but they are really, really hardy, and that's what they use for commercial propagation. You know, when we had that really brutal freeze from winter storm Uri back in February, so many of our citrus trees here in Central Texas just suffered. They all looked 
dead right after the storm. But as it started to warm back up in the springtime, a lot of these citrus trees were able to bounce back and they started putting on new growth. But it was coming from the base of the tree below the graft. So that showed you that that strong citrus root stalk was able to survive the freeze. And it was really just the grafted, um, the grafted parts that were more temperature sensitive um, that died. And, you know, for us backyard gardeners trying to grow grafted um, citrus, that winter storm was so disappointing. But just know that having that new growth from the rootstock is really good because even though the rootstock might not produce the kind of fruit that we want, the plant is still alive and obviously has a really great root system if it's able to uh, survive that extreme temperatures like that. So don't despair because you can still graft onto your citrus tree. So don't be disappointed. Take advantage of it. There is just a ton of information on the internet, lots of videos showing you how to graft citrus. And, you know, while you're out researching how to do this, you're going to come across websites where you can order budwood for grafting onto your rootstock. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn about all the great shows and cool music coming out of our little station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Host podcast if you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want. Download some episodes and please leave a review. It's just super quick and easy. Click on some stars, type up a sentence or so, and let others know what you think about this show and then submit it. It's really easy. This is going to help others find the show, and downloading those Plow and Host episodes helps provide me with some greatly needed show statistics. Okay. Well, you know, with this weather, i I got to be honest, I don't really feel like doing a whole lot in my garden this weekend, other than moving the hose around to water the few plants that I still have and I'm trying to keep alive. I did cut back my tomatoes, um, cut them back a few weeks ago and they're hanging in. There's a little bit of new growth and I don't really expect flowers or tomatoes for a while, but I went ahead and got up early this morning and I mixed up some organic liquid fertilizer and made a soil drench. And I just poured that at the base of my plants. This time of year, I, I like to use the liquid fertilizers and like compost tea instead of the granular products. Plants always need moisture when it's hot like this. So that's why I like to use a liquid product so they can get water and nutrients at the same time. Any well-balanced 
organic liquid concentrate fertilizer will be good. Just read the package. Most of them, um, the instructions tell you to mix like one ounce of concentrate with um, a gallon of water. Just read the package. It'll tell you how to, to mix it up. You want to get a low dose product, and by that I mean one that has a low ratio of nutrients. That's the NPK numbers on the package. It stands for nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And the numbers will be like 312 or 555. A low dose product will give your plants a little extra boost to help them with this heat stress. Because, you know, we really don't need mega amounts of nutrients right now. It's just, it's just way too hot. Keeping plants fertilized with a low dose organic product is gonna be great because it's not likely to cause issues associated with fertilizer burn. Overdoing the fertilizer is just not good because especially now while it's so hot, because what the plant doesn't use will either stay in the soil or it's going to drain off into the water table and, and then it flows away into our waterways. It's fertilizer pollution. Um, you know, when, it, when they do build up in the soil, it can um, actually end up burning your plants. And when plants are over-fertilized, they're going to let you know because the leaves will start to turn yellow and discolor and then the edges will turn brown and get crispy. It looks like they've gotten too close to a flame and started to curl up and kind of have like a toasted look to them. The plants will actually stop growing at this point and those damaged leaves will just start to drop off. So just keep it simple. Use a low-dose fertilizer. In spite of this heat and not wanting to do a lot of yard work, I am still actually really excited about gardening because we are in a new planting window and there is just so many things that uh, we can be planting now and or, or very, very soon. We can sow a whole bunch of seeds like summer favorites like beans, cucumbers, and summer squash, but we can also plant cool season seeds pretty soon. Now and all through the end of September, we can plant beets, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, carrots, cauliflower, Swiss chard, collard greens, kale, kohlrabi, mustard greens, onions, radishes, and turnips. I told you there was a lot that uh, we can be planting right now. Um, we can also plant artichoke crowns. On last week's show, I spent a little time talking about planting artichokes in the fall. If you missed that show or you want to listen to it again, just go find it on your favorite podcast platform. And you're going to want to download the August 29th show. It's episode number 34. I am looking forward to planting some new things like broccoli and kale. Um, uh, I'm not new to planting broccoli or kale. Um, I'm just looking forward to being able to plant them again. Uh, these two plants are related. They are brassicas. 
The brassica family of plants is a pretty large group. It includes broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, and the leafy greens, um, kale, mustard, and collard. You can start brassicas from seeds now. I might be a little cautious about sowing these seeds directly into the garden right now because it's early September and there's a pretty good chance that it's going to stay hot for a little while longer and those little sprouts could get stressed out and die from the heat. Uh, you know, if you give them um, a nice amount of afternoon shade and they could be all right, but maybe start them in pots and then just transplant them later when it's a little bit cooler. Just make sure that if you do um, start seeds in pots, just make sure that they get some good sunlight during the day and make sure they have afternoon shade until they get big enough to put in your beds. I like to plant a lot of broccoli. Not only do I like the florets, I like the leaves. I just use them like I would kale. To me, they taste like broccoli. Just chop them up and toss them in with like a stir fry. You can put them in a pot with other greens like collards and mustard and then just cook them all day long until um, they're nice and tender. That's a really delicious way um, to use them. One of my favorite things to do with them is just chop them up and put them in a bowl and then pour some hot soup over them. They wilt down just perfectly and they don't get overcooked. Broccoli leaves do get pretty big so it really doesn't take a whole lot to clip one off your plant and chop it up and use it where you would use broccoli. It's pretty good. Brassicas are pretty easy to grow in Texas, but they can attract some pests, in particular caterpillars. Cabbage loopers and striped cabbage worms, they just love nibbling on all the brassicas, not just cabbage. So when you have brassicas in your garden, you're going to want to check your plants really often and examine them pretty regularly to keep those caterpillars from completely devouring your brassicas because they will. The easiest and the cheapest way to um, control um, brassica caterpillars is to just pick them off. Just be sure to look under the leaves and along the stems because um, most of them are green and they're really good at hiding. If you get these caterpillars while they're really small, it's not a big deal. Um, it gets to be a little bit more of a big deal for me when they get bigger. Um, you know, like the width of a piece of twine. Um, because that's when I start getting grossed out by them. And that's when I have to, um, I feel like I need to go get some gloves on if I'm going to touch them. 
you can pick them off and squish them with a rock or you know just figure out another way to uh, get them to worm heaven I feed mine to my chickens but however you get rid of them it really doesn't matter to me how you do it but you just don't want to let them continue to be on your plants because once you have them it seems like they invite all their friends and they all come and just have like a brassica buffet because they just eat and eat and eat and eat until there's absolutely nothing left of your plants and I've had that happen and it's really disappointing so be sure to keep an eye out for caterpillars on your brassicas if picking them off and squishing them really isn't what you want to do or you discover that you have um, a lot of them and it's kind of a problem you can apply BT BT is perfectly safe for humans and pets but it's super lethal for soft-bodied critters like cabbage loopers the fancy full name for BT is Bacillus thuringiensis, and it's actually a bacteria that you can find at the garden center, at independent local nurseries. Sometimes you can even find it at the feed store. Just ask for BT. It's really very common, but it's really effective. Just mix it up and spray it on your brassicas whenever you see caterpillars on them or you notice some of their droppings. One brassica that I've never had much luck with is cauliflower. They just never seem to work out for me. And, you know, it could be like a mental thing because I'm really not the biggest fan of cauliflower. But I might change my mind because there are some super cool varieties out there. Of course, there's always the white kind, but you can find purple cauliflower. You can find orange cauliflower. There's um, the orange cauliflower. One of them is called uh, cheddar because it's like the exact same color as cheddar cheese. Um, but there's also even like a funky bright green variety, and it's called Romanesco. And I think that plant is just really amazing because it's it's so different than the other cauliflower you know how um cauliflower is normally just kind of rounded i mean it's bumpy but it's still like a distinct round mound of of a plant and if you pick it and you cut it up you can tell that um they're really densely packed flowers when you cut up a cauliflower it just kind of like crumbles and all those little flower buds just fall apart. On the other hand, instead of being rounded on top, the Romanesco varieties are electric green and their flower buds are pointy. And it's a super, super interesting plant. They look like they twist as they grow and that causes them to kind of form a point but they are very uniform in how they grow. And all these buds form a spiral, um, a whole lot like a, sea, a seashell. But 
there are just so many of these um, flowers that they do kind of end up looking really spiky and honestly kind of slightly frightening like they like a punk rock or Mad Max turtle shell I don't know I they're really weird and so unusual and I like weird plants and I think it'd be fun to try to grow um, to grow that Romanesco so I think I might add that to my list of plants to try this fall Fall is also a really great time for planting trees, so if you're interested in adding a tree or two, consider pecan trees. They make great shade trees, but you also get pecans. Pecans can self-pollinate to produce nuts, but it's hit or miss and more of a miss. Pecans do better with a buddy tree so that they can swap pollen you will get a whole lot more pecans if your trees can cross-pollinate. Pecans are wind-pollinated and you need two different varieties. So when you're out shopping for trees, pick up two different kinds. You can also scope out your neighbors and see if anyone has a, anybody nearby has a pecan tree. Pecan pollen travels about a quarter mile in the air, so it's possible for them to cross-pollinate with neighboring trees. So you may not need to buy two pecan trees if your neighbors have pecan trees. Right now, you're only going to be able to find container-grown pecans. Bare root pecan trees are usually only available at local nurseries, so you need to call your favorite nursery and just ask them when they get their bare root pecan shipments in. Bare root plants are dormant, so all these nurseries are on a schedule. They're going to know, they'll be able to tell you when, uh, have a general idea when their um, shipments are going to come in. Right now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with container-grown trees. They're usually larger and they have um, a better root system, but they're also um, more expensive. Recommended pecan tree varieties for Central Texas include Desirable, Caddo, Kiowa, Cheyenne, and Choctaw. There are also some other ones that are also good for our part of Central Texas. Now, the local nurseries are really good about carrying plants and trees that grow well in our area and also their employees really tend to be better educated about the inventory compared to like the big box stores. Trees are an investment and they really enhance your property. They can be expensive so just do a little research and find the perfect location for your trees and then seek out trees from local nurseries. Okay, friends, I want to thank you again for joining me today. Even though it's hot and it's ugh, out here, you, you may not feel like doing a whole lot in the garden right now. I hope you're inspired to start thinking about the fall and all the cool plants and crops and trees that you can add this year. Thank
production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.